Yeah. Um, this is Ken Yonke, his wife, Lori. Ken is on our oversight team, as I already spoke of. And uh, Ken, we're so honored to have you, man. You're a good friend, a great man. There's all sorts of superlatives I could drop right now, but I'm going to leave it here and say, please speak to us and be yourself. We love you. Wow. Thanks, buddy. Wow. It is so great to be with you. This is an incredible day. Um, some of you guys, why is this so incredible? It's just a Sunday. No, this is not just a Sunday. This is my 30th wedding anniversary. And I married that beautiful lady right there. Raise your hand. So somebody said, what are you doing going to Kansas City on your anniversary? On a 30th, you should be. I said, no, this is what we do. There's nothing greater than being with the family, right? You are our family, and we're so grateful to be here. The church is not a business. It's, it's not an organization. It's a family, and we want to be with our family today, right? So we're so glad to be with you. Um, listen, man, I, for all of you that are still single, I just want to tell you, it is possible. Don't give up. Don't give up. My wife, it took me three years to get her to go on a date with me. And that's not, I'm not joking. Three years. And then finally she said yes. I said it better be a good date. So I took her. Uh, we floated the Buffalo River. In Arkansas, I wanted to make it, yeah, you're right. Uh -huh. And so I took her to the river. We uh, packed a beautiful picnic, had a picnic in the meadow. It was all going great until I knocked her out cold. She fell out of the canoe, almost drowned. I scooped her up, swam to the shore. I thought I was about to get my first kiss, and then she came up. Hey, listen, I, I am not exaggerating. This is how I got my wife. I cavemaned her. I knocked her out and made sure I was the first thing she saw when she came to. And, I, and she's been mine ever since, 30 years. She's amazing. <laughs> Someone said, has she woke up yet? Yes. Listen, it is such a joy to serve on the oversight team here for NAVA. I, I want to say on behalf of our entire team how proud we are of each and every one of you. How amazing the journey is that God has you on as a people. Your heart for this city, for the seven regions, oh, God's heart is so full with joy over a people that would risk themselves, everything, for him and for his purposes. Oh, and you guys, it's amazing. I speak this over you, a prayer found in Ephesians 3. For this reason, beginning with verse 14, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ. Come on. And to know this love. This is the love that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all fullness in God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Church, more than you can imagine. Listen, I'm here to tell you, get ready. More is coming. There's more for you. (laughs) There's more for you. According to His power that that is at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church. To Him be the glory in the church. His glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning I want to speak a parable. Because the journey that you're on is about following the cloud, right? It's about going where Jesus leads and... and, uh, you know, we're signed up, we're, the ship has set sail, and now we're, we're following the cloud, and uh, we're waiting for Jesus to show us the next thing, and the next thing, and the, the next thing. And so we have to have eyes to see. Jesus saw, and He saw, and He saw, and He saw, and He said, I only do that which I see the Father do. And so there's a sense in which we've invited our Father to show us the way, to lead us. And to give us eyes to see beyond what we can see. To show us things that are often hidden from us so that we make sure we don't miss any part of the journey. Once a man built a boat and he spared no expenses in its effort. It would be the greatest boat to ever sail from the boat club for which he was the member. The man outfitted the boat with beautiful sails, complex rigging, and the decks, they were beautiful teak wood. And all the fittings, they were made of polished brass. And painted on the stern, in gold letters, was the name of the boat, the Persona. As he built the boat, he anticipated the applause from club members. Because no one would see the underside of the persona. He took no concern for the keel or the ballast. Sailors would be shocked at this, but the man had the perception of the crowd in his mind. You see, seaworthiness seemed not as important while it was still sitting in dry dock. The man often thought, why should I spend money or time on what is out of sight? Everyone in the club, they praised the man's efforts. And the day came for the maiden voyage. And everyone joined him at dockside. As the breeze filled the sails, it pushed the persona from the club's harbor. And as the man stood at the helm, he heard the cheers and the praise of everyone. 
As the persona cut through the swells, its builder took pride in his work. But a few miles out to sea, a storm arose. There were sudden wind gusts and 15-foot waves. And he looked for the other boats who were following, but see, they turned back long ago. He had been too self-absorbed to notice. Within minutes, the colorful sails were shredded, the mask was splintered in pieces, the teakwood decks were awash with water. And before he knew what to do, the persona had capsized. Now, this is really, really important. Most boats would have righted themselves after such a battering. But the persona, it didn't. It didn't because the man had ignored what was below the waterline. You see, there was no weight there. No well-designed keel. That might have saved the ship. Only when the wreckage of the persona washed ashore did the man's boat club friends discover all of this. They all said only a fool would design a boat with far more weight above the waterline than below the waterline. His friends didn't realize before that he had really only built half a boat. And today... When people speak of the persona, they marvel that the boat was really never built for anyone else. But the vanity of the builder and the praise of the spectators. And versions of this story are being recycled in a thousand different ways. Someone built a life. Someone built a church. And again, in a thousand different ways. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the next few minutes, speak to our hearts. Help us to see. Help us to see you. Father, set your gaze upon us. Examine our lives. Give us eyes to see that which is hidden. Help us to pay attention on the journey that you've taken Nava on. Help us to build together with you. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Not a persona, but sons and daughters of the living God, a family who follows the Lordship of you, King Jesus. And so, Father, we submit to you this journey that we set our hearts on as a people is not a journey where we're waiting to hear the applause from the audience who's watching, but from heaven who calls us forward. Lead us, O God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. The first step in, I think, in being able to to see the unseen is to fix our attention on Jesus. Ephesians 3, the passage I talked about, it said that we might understand his love. 
the depth, the height, the, the fullness of His love. Beloved, the Father is in love with you. You are His sons and His daughters, and, and He delights Himself over you. He finds great joy in you. There's nothing you could do to earn more of it. He doesn't withhold it from us. And I think it's this love that's so critical because it's the love that focuses us. It's all about our focus. His love shapes what we see. It's so easy to go through our days and never notice or see the very things we need to be praying over and paying close attention to. When you start to love the way He loves, the way the Father loves, you begin to notice things. You begin to see things that you never saw before. He starts giving more of His heart to you. And you begin to get a vision for your city, for your neighborhood, for your communities, for your friends, for the person who lives across the street. You begin to see things that you never saw before. When you start to pay attention and allow the love of God to focus you, you begin to realize things. Oh, 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 this is why I'm here. You start to see the injustice in your cities. You begin to recognize the work and the hand of the Father and the finger of God pointed its way to say, pay attention, son. Look at that daughter. That is not the way it should be. Bring my love to it. We're trained only to see what is visible, though. That's the problem. However, we need to learn how to see what is unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Spiritual realities are more real than physical ones. Oh, for Nava to be ready to see the spiritual things, not just the physical realities. You see, there's a, there's a work that God is prepared for you as a people. But you're only going to fully understand it as you have eyes to see beyond the physical to see it with spiritual eyes. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, we read about the servant whose eyes were open to see the unseen. They were surrounded by an army that had beseeched them overnight. And Elijah said... Oh, Lord, open the eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant in verse 17. And he looked and he saw the hills of horses and chariots of fire all around them. Oh, if you could only see what God has prepared in advance for you. Mm. It's as if each of you are secret agents of the Lord. 
and he's dispatched you. I see, I believe that as God encamps you around the cities, that you begin to, each of you, in your missional communities, begin to vibrate and reflect more of Jesus to others around. And it starts to reverberate throughout the whole city. It's so easy to become blinded by what we see that we never see what's always been there in view if only we had eyes to see. So how do we cultivate new eyes? One is a practical little thing that I want to offer you today. You see, um, for those of you that have met me before, you, you may have heard me talk a little bit about my journey in New Haven, Connecticut. I moved my family there, and I won't take a long time to talk to you about it because we'd be here all night to tell you story after story of the transformational grace of God and how He protected us and led us as we moved into the inner city where prostitution was on every corner, drug deals in front of our house and people being murdered in the streets and we lived three blocks from the projects. And I, I begin to, to walk the streets and I begin to say, God, I, I'm a pastor. I, I know how to get up in here behind this pulpit and bring a message. But now you've got me, you've got me over here and there's no pulpit anymore and there's no people and, and actually it looks like, it looks a bit like a war zone. How do I show up here? I know I have the, the heart of a pastor. I have the grace that you've given me. I got my eyes on you, Jesus. Show me how I show up here. You see, there was a, there was a story that God was unfolding in my heart. A story that he was inviting me to be a part of with him. And I began to ask him, what was this story that we were going to tell together? And the father said, I want you to tell me what the object of your desire is, son. What is it that you desire? Tell me. You see, that's the way the father talks to you. Because he loves you, because you're his sons and his daughters. Have you ever felt the liberty and the freedom to tell the Father what you desire? And so he said, write, write down your object of desire. Write down the thing that you want. So this is what I wrote. I, I, I went back to my journal, knowing I was going to get to talk to you today, and I, I jotted it down. This is what I told him. I said, I desire to participate with a community of friends in the transformation of a city. To take upon us the responsibility, the burden, and the care of its transformation as a beautiful apologetic and justification to a watching world, a visible reality, a people belonging to God. I said, God, that's my desire. I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to get your pen and your paper and to sit down and say, God, this, this is what I desire to see in Kansas City, 
throughout the regions where you have scattered us. And watch what God does with it. You see, we need to cultivate redemptive eyes, don't we? If we're going to see, and we're going to see well, we've got to cultivate redemptive eyes. So there's a few, few things that I think help cultivate those eyes. Once I begin to declare to the Father what I desired, He began to show me some things. The first thing I want to say is that you can't change what you don't love. you got to love your place. Where has God placed you? What can you do to demonstrate the love of the Father in that place? And how do you love it? You can't love what you, you can't change what you don't love. The second thing is to flip on the lights and celebrate and proclaim God's intentions for your city. You know, it's so easy to look around and, and, and see the things that aren't right. And sometimes those things are the things that get us feeling like, huh, there's no way we can change this. Listen, God begins with what's in your hand. Some of us, listen, when you step out in faith, God meets you there every time. There's story after story where God used insignificant things to do powerful things. My favorite one is he meets this blind person. And what he does is he spits in the dirt. And he swirls it around in the mud and he puts it on their eye. And their eyes are opened. I mean, listen, guys. As long as you've got spit in your mouth, you got what it takes to do the work of God. Right? Sometimes we get so discouraged about the stuff going on, just start turning the light on what is going on. When I was, my kids were little, I took them to see The Lion King. And uh, there was a moment, you guys will probably remember it, when Mufasa has Simba, and they're up high, and they're looking out over, over the kingdom. And he, Mufasa says, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. Jesus said, you are the light. Wherever you are is his kingdom. We have to be willing to go into the places and bring the light and turn on the light and show people what it looks like to trip and stumble our way into the glory of God, following him and saying, yes, yes, I, I didn't know, but I got spit in my mouth. <laughs> I can do it. We've got to discover, thirdly, God's thumbprint. What is the God DNA of your city? You've got to do some research. 
One of the ways that you can love your place is to understand your place. Find out why are things the way they are. Begin to pray and walk. If you want to see, really see, pray and watch and ask God to reveal things that are hidden. Fourthly, find ways to release the redemptive purpose in your cities. Genesis 26, Isaac redug the wells to unstop the flow of water to his inheritance. There is an inheritance that God has stored up for Nava. When I began to walk the streets of New Haven and pray, and I would talk to people, and I'd ask them, what's your dream? What's your dream for your city? What's your dream for our community? What's your dream for your family? Tell me, I want to know. And then they would look at me like, and finally, you know, after a little bit, they would start to tell me their dream. I began to walk the streets and pray. And one day I was walking, and I heard the Lord say, I want you to unstop the well. I'm from Texas, so I have to be careful. I'm talking about that thing you dig, the water well. I want you to unstop the well of innovation that once flowed through this city. I said, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know. So then I went and I started learning. I started reading. I realized that in the city of New Haven, man, I could stand here for an hour and tell you all the things that were invented in that city, and you would be amazed. The first elevator, the first revolver, the first hamburger. Louis' lunch still stands to this day and still makes, it's a bit... It's a bit of the hamburger Nazi, if you know what I mean. You have to walk up, and you get your burger, and you go right out. Um, and you don't get to say, I would like ketchup or anything. You just get it the way Louis serves it. <laughs> the first assembly line. Um, the first Frisbee. I mean, it, I could just go on and on and on of all the innovation of that city. The, the CIA. The forestry department, on and on and on, began in that city. And, and what I heard the Lord say is, innovation no longer flows in this place. And I want you to, I want you to jumpstart. I'm like, okay. I don't know how, but I'll do it. And out of that came a business that we start that became an incubator and a place to ignite innovation and startups in that city as an attempt of trying as a son to obey the Father's voice and call in my life. Beloved, there are things that God has stored up for all of you that you don't even know yet. You haven't even begun to imagine. And there's resource for it. He, it's His responsibility. He takes it. He takes full responsibility to resource you to do what He calls you to do. He's a good, good Father. And He will not fail you. I can tell you that. In five years, I saw my entire neighborhood transformed. 
In a moment, I saw my life transformed. The reason that I believe it's possible for you, Nava, to be a part of the transformation of this entire city is because if God can transform me, he can transform this city. If he did it in you, he can do it through you. And that's his promise to you as a people. The fifth thing is be part of the reformation of the church. Listen, that's what this experiment, this what this journey is about for you. It's about the church being reformed. The state of the church determines the state of the city. The blessing flows from God's people to the city. That's the way it works. So what does a, a reformed church look like? I'm going to go really fast because I got to. First, it's an influencing church. In the world, but not of the world, right? There's unity. It's about unity through the Holy Spirit. You're here in this church because it's about unity. There are other journeys. Listen, what God wants to do in Kansas City is that when people get off the plane and they walk up and say, hey, where's, there's a revival going on. Where, what church do I go to? And they go, it's not one church. Pick one. It's all the churches. That's, that's the thing that God's doing. Our success is only found in Jesus. That's a reformation. Right? There's a lot of people that are building personas and setting sail only to find wreckage and teakwood decks awash. There has to be a return to the prophetic, and I'll tell you why. The church has to listen to God, and we have to allow Him to pull us into our future, into that which we don't know, into that which we, we can't see, but we sense that He's leading us, and we're asking Him to show us with every step forward. We're not a retreating church. We're an advancing church. We have to turn from an inward focus to an outward focus. That means that we become a sent people. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate in sending one of your own to Portland. Hey, listen. We don't weep because that season of their life with us, the Cardwells, is over. We smile because it happened. Because this is what it's about. A reformed church sends its people. It doesn't hold them. It releases them to do the work of the kingdom of God. There's a focus on being relational, not transactional. The church has been so transactional in its ways in dealing with, with, with people, period. Listen, before we'll let you belong, you've got to behave. Because we, you know, we don't, sometimes in the church, we're okay with them not even believing. But which comes first? 
Do you believe before you're allowed to belong? Jesus let his disciples walk with him for three years. It wasn't until he showed them his hands, he resurrected from the dead, he presented himself before them that I think most of them actually got it. People want to walk with a church that allows people to belong. And in the process of discovering their sonship and their identity within the family, they begin to believe. And the behavior starts to be shaped by Jesus and Jesus alone, not by rules. The days of being sons are upon us. Daughters, no more orphans, no more, no more slaves. There's a creation mandate in the Reformed Church. It's intrinsically a part of the way the church should be. That's why Nava says we're about bringing home and making beautiful. It's the creation mandate. You have a mandate as a, reform, a church in Reformation to make beautiful the city. To make beautiful the lives of the people of Kansas City. You see, we must continue God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. And whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we're forming God's pattern of city transformation. In a church that's being reformed, it's about the marketplace and the sanctuary working in partnership. Later when you have time, go back and read Ezekiel 47. And you begin to see a vision in verses 1 through 12 of the Holy Spirit moving out from inside the building into the streets. And the water, the river of God, gets deeper and deeper. And wherever it goes, things come to life. Trees start to grow and bear fruit. There's healing in the leaves of the trees. And people are throwing their nets. And there's a catch. And that's not just fish. Jesus said, if you come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The marketplace, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to do good works. It's a place to express the compassion of the gospel. It's a place to challenge non-biblical thinking and practice. Come on. You are the salt that stops the rot. You know, it's time for us to stop getting frustrated with the way things are when we are the preservative that stops the rot. And as long as we're setting inside and not attending to the needs of our city, the rot will continue. But you are the salt that stops the rot. And that's found in Matthew 5.13, by the way. Last thing I'll just throw at you about the Reformation, we could go on and on, is that it's, it's about refocusing the church's message on Jesus' message, which was the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is never without power. It is never irrelevant. The gospel is always relevant and provided the answers that all people are searching for. Listen, if you take every question 
on the heart of man today. They break down into basically four common questions. And church, you have the answers. It's called the gospel. These are the, these are the questions everybody is asking. How can I provide for my family? How can I live in peace and safety? How can I have meaningful relationships? How can the systems I live in provide security, justice, and opportunity? And the gospel is the answer to every one of those questions. I just want to pray for you. I want to ask Jesus to give us new eyes. As we begin this this journey of reformation and dreaming over our cities and crying out to God and saying, God, this, this is the object of my desire that I want to join you in. Help me. That I ask that the Father would give us new eyes, a new vision. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, to help us to see beyond what's in front of us, to see what is often hidden from us. I pray, God, that you would install in us as a people, in Nava as a church, the ability to see with you, that we'd pay attention to the things that are often out of sight as much as we do to the things that are in sight. Pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see. Remove the blinders. Help us to have faith when you activate our scene. Help us to respond to your cloud. In Jesus' name, amen.